Hosea chapter 6. Last week, I encouraged you to uh, do the heavy lifting for me to read uh, chapters 4 through 6. And I'm going to, I would love to do, I'm not going to, but I, I would love to do a show of hands to see who actually did the homework. Okay, thank you, Drew. Well, look at that. There's a special place in heaven for you folks. But I want to continue to encourage you to uh, read ahead of time, to, to get into the Word before we actually open up God's Word, to hear what He might be saying to you personally, uh, even before we come to uh, our time of worship. This morning, we are going to be reading from Hosea chapter 6, but I want to start off with uh, two questions for you. The first question is, what can you do to make sure that somebody is listening to you? What can you do to make sure that somebody is listening to you? Now, I have a mother-in-law who uh, make, there, she has a way of making sure that I am listening to her. And what does she do? She pulls out this finger, slightly crooked, and she does one of these. One of these, ah, Paul. So that, that's one of the things. As, as a parent of small children, I, I know that I am guilty of this. There's moments where you just take their head and just say, are you listening to me? Now sit down. Now, are you listening to me? If, you are, if you're a junior high teacher and you sense that there are, are kids chattering around in the back, you, one of the things that you might do to make sure that they're listening to you is that all of a sudden you stop your lecture and, and allow the silence to really make things strangely awkward. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, yes, Mr. Room. Or if, if, you, if you're a police officer and you're directing traffic to make sure that people are listening to you, you might be blowing the whistle or bring out these, those orange things. You might be doing different things. If you're a judge and you're, you're trying to make sure that people are listening to you, you might issue a verdict that is meant to send a message. If you part a mother's against drunk driving, you might arrange for a destroyed vehicle to be brought into the school parking lot. If you are trying to prevent drug abuse, you might have a former addict come in and share their story of, of tragedy. Hearing, my friends, hearing is one thing, but listening, really listening is a whole other category, isn't it? Oh, I hear you, but are you listening? So here's the second question. The first one is, what can you do to make sure that someone is listening to you? There's plenty of things. But the second question is, how do you know that someone truly has listened to you? How do you know that for, for sure that these folks are, have really listened to me and they have heard and they've applied? Well, imagine that you're, you're discipling someone and as you are meeting in the restaurant you have to share some hard information with this young man or this young woman what would be some good signs that this person has actually heard you hopefully more than just a, hmm, a head nod that, that to me is just a cue that oh you hear me perhaps a sign that they actually have listened and applied it is if they understand the scope of what, they, what you have been talking about and they can actually repeat it back to you in their own words. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what you're saying, Paul, is yada, yada, yada. And you go, yes, absolutely. 
Or maybe this person has applied your counsel, your wisdom, your, your words of hope in, in ways that you haven't even considered. And you go, yeah, you've got it. You've taken it and you've taken it to the next level. Amazing. Or maybe if there's some kind of commitment or, or next steps for change. Ultimately, however, you would only know if this person has really listened if there was truly change, a difference, a change of course. The Bible calls this repentance. He calls it repentance. It's a, it's a change of mindset so profound that it changes the entire person. It changes us from the inside and it changes us all the way to the outside. And in order to become a Christian, a person must repent from their sin, turn from their sin, turn towards Christ. So it's a change in going another direction. Biblical repentance, therefore, involves what um, Paul talks about in Colossians as the, the putting off of the old self and the putting on of the new man. The Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, I believe has a quote for us, maybe, I put it in there. He says this, Repentance is a grace of God's Spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly and humbly and visibly reformed. There's a change, and there is... in the background. So repentance, my friend, uh, the change in the going in another direction, that is a gift. It's a gift from God. It involves a, a genuine faith in conversion and those who are genuinely, genuinely saved by faith, faith, they actually embrace, they embrace repentance. They embrace it. So to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins means that you believe in who He is and what He has to say about you. And you believe that He is calling you to actually be holy. And so you turn from the old self and you go a different way. In other words, you don't accept Christ as your Savior without accepting Him as the Lord of your life. It requires a holistic view of how, how am I now to stand? How am I now to live? Faith leads to repentance. Grace creates holiness. Actions follow commitment. And you can even see how this applies to marriage. You would not think highly of a person who claims, claims to be committed to marriage but he's not committed to faithfulness in marriage, right? The commitment to the institution of marriage is demonstrated in our actions, in who I am in Christ, determines now how I must live. So both the covenant and actions are required. And this morning we are we are going to be looking at the spiritual aspect of this. Because we, we tend to not feel the weight of our actions as it re, often relates to our place, uh, the place of God in our lives. We, we don't often feel it. 
when the trend of our spiritual compromise begins to characterize the entire culture even, it becomes even worse when we don't even sense our need for God in our lives. When spiritual unfaithfulness becomes a cultural norm, people begin to just feel like, ah, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. But the prophet Hosea says, it's got to start with repentance. To even change cultural situations, personal situations, marital situations. And so, my friends, I want to encourage you, we are going to stand for the reading of God's Word. We are going to be reading chapter 6. Not 4, 5, and 6. But please stand for the reading of God's Word. Listen carefully for the theme of repentance. Come. Let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us and on the third day He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. He is going out. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the rain, spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as a light. I, for I desire, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood as robbers lie in wait for a man so the priests band together they murder on the way to Shechem they commit villainy in the house of Israel I have seen a horrible thing Ephraim's whoredom is there Israel is defiled for you also O Israel a harvest is appointed this is the word of the Lord you may be seated so we have walked so far through chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Hosea. I want to remind you that Hosea, although it may feel like an archaic book that was written specifically to these, these ancient people before Christ ever existed, these are words for not only them, these are words for us, God's people. It is profitable for us. It is, it is to help us to grow in holiness. So after we have looked at Hosea 1, 2, and 3, we're now entering into what I will consider a lengthy section of warning sermons by the prophet Hosea. Warning sermons. Everybody loves a good finger wagon, right? It's like, are you listening now? Are you listening? It's kind of like that guy with the, the, the telephone commercial, right? He, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Even he had a conversion. He went from one 
phone company to another phone company. He, he understood the, the necessity of hearing. And that is what Hosea is doing. He is saying, I need to give you a number of lengthy sermons warning you. Can you hear me now? Let me put it another way. Can you hear me now? How, let me rephrase it. Can you hear me now? So chapters 4 through 11 and 12 through 14 are two collections of messages from the prophet Hosea where he is calling for the children of Israel to listen. Can you hear me? Not only can you hear me, but are you going to hear me in such a way that you are going to move towards action? Are you hearing me and will you repent? Last week we ended uh, with the chapter, uh, chapter 3 where uh, there was this story of Hosea. And Hosea is, was instructed by God to go now back to his wife, who had got into a life, a full-on life of prostitution. And God says to Hosea, go to your wife Gomer. Purchase her back to you. So either there was a debt that was still due with her her uh, sugar daddies, whatever it was, there was a debt that had to be paid and Hosea had already paid once a dowry to take her as his wife and now he had to buy her back. But we also hear Hosea calling her to stop her wayward ways. The purchase of Gomer was to free her from her waywardness not to free her for her waywardness. And isn't that what Christ does for us? He doesn't come to redeem us and save us so that we can continue in our waywardness. That's now kind of sanctified holy sin that we can continue doing. No, Christ came and paid a price so that we would be free from our waywardness. So our text today, we need to keep in mind that Hosea and Gomer are still in the background of all of this. And these three chapters give us a first look of Hosea's, can you hear me now, kind of warnings. Here's the first thing, and it starts off kind of a summation in chapter 1, which all of you have already read, right? Right. So the first three verses of chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and 3, represent kind of a, a summation of all the charges that God has against His people. The tone is one of a, kind of a legal proceeding where God is bringing up the charges against His people. It, it's, it's like a town crier coming into town and, and announcing a proclamation. God is announcing, He's proclaiming to His people the nature of their waywardness, the, the way that they have gone off the ranch. And that's why you hear in verse 4, verse 1, the word hear. But you'll also hear it in chapter 5, verse 1, and 6, verse 1, where Hosea says, come, you need to hear this. So the tone of this text is one of proclaiming and one of warning. God wants His people to hear clearly that there is a problem going on. And God wants us to hear this morning. We have a problem. We have to problem. They, they need the clarity of this word so that they can change. They need, frankly, a wake-up call. 
The word that we can even see in four in chapter 4, that there, that there is a, a controversy. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a, a controversy. He has a problem. The NASB, another translation, says, this is the case that the Lord has with you. The NIV says, here is the charge that the Lord has against you. Other commentators mean, take it to mean that this is a court summons. Now come stand before me. Hear the Lord's charges against you. God is identifying His charges and He is announcing them out and He announces His indictment against Israel. This is a scary thing if you think about it. If you are called to come before the Lord and He is saying, let's address the problem. The second half of of verse 1 all the way through verse 3 summarizes even their waywardness that they have. There's all kinds of failings that are going on. God's character and their character are worlds apart. There's no faithfulness or even steadfast love. These two words are often come as a pair in the Bible when describing the character of God, that He is faithful and He has steadfast love. And the people are not marked by fidelity. They are not marked with loving kindness in regard to God or even to each other. And God is saying, listen, here's an area you are failing. On top of that, you are failing because you have no knowledge of God. The aim of God's redemption is is for His people to know Him. And not just know Him up here, but to know Him intimately and personally as their Father, as their God, as their Savior. These people have failed to live up to the basic, just, just the basics of their covenantal relationship with God. They have failed. The nation has drifted from the basics of the spiritual fundamentals of what it means to be the people of God. Faithful, steadfast love, knowing God. But there is also the issue of disobedience. In Hosea's message, he he continues as he highlights what what else is absent. In this section, he he lists, if you look in verse 2, Five of the ten commandments, swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, these people have given themselves over to destructive sins. And these sins, these sins, my friends, have a cumulative effect on society. And it's true for us too. It's the snowball effect. We start growing numb and this, we start leading to more sin and to more sin and to more and it becomes a great big rolling snowball and suddenly it becomes an avalanche. But it doesn't just affect the children individually, one-on-one. It has a way, their sinfulness has a way of affecting culture. The created order is even affected. Notice in in verse 4 how it starts off. Therefore, 
the land, the land, and all who dwell in it languish. The people, the rebellion of these people had, had brought upon judgment of God and their culture is now even reaping what they have sown. Israel was an agrarian kind of culture. Animals, birds, fish were their livelihood. And God's judgment was now involved in the removal of these things. Drought and famine were used by God in order just to awaken their conscience. Their culture had gone down a path and now there were consequences. The entire nation was now feeling the effects. Man, we, we, we as a nation even want to point towards political areas. We want to point to those folks. We want to point to that. We want to point to that. Maybe what we need to do is start looking at home and looking at us. Maybe the problem we want to blame out there, maybe the problem is right here. Their culture was broken because of them. I think we can readily identify with that. Here's even a question. Do we groan even with creation at its brokenness? One of the reasons that I, I wanted us to study this Old Testament prophet is because they have a unique voice with what they bring to the table. This book and other, other books remind us that sin is a bigger problem than just what we have committed individually. When we think about sin, we just think about me, myself, and I. But the prophets say, oh no, your sin has an effect on culture and this world that we live in. Don't get me wrong, individual sin is a huge problem. And we need to address the sin that is sticking around in our life. And we need to work hard at like rooting it out as quickly and as effectively as possible. But there's another aspect of sin that I think we often neglect, especially in our, our evangelical circles. Our evangelical circles, we, we tend to focus just on my personal sin. In our individualization of everything in our, and in our Western way of thinking, we tend not to see the bigger picture. Listen to a few verses in, from Romans. Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His, invi His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And they, so they are without excuse. So their sin has a way of affecting the world. Romans 8, for we know that the whole creation, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have, we, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption 
adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. These texts remind us that there is something wrong with the world, that even creation is groaning against the sin that we have brought into this world. Sin has made its way into the fabric of every part of our society. And when the effects of sin rear their ugly head, God's people should be reminded that sin is what's wrong with the world. Sin is what's wrong with me. Sin is why I need a Savior. And oh my, my gosh, our, our world needs a Savior. And Hosea wanted, to, wanted the people to look around. Quit your belly gazing. Look around. He wanted to see, them to see that their culture is a reflection of something about them. Look at this world around you. That's you. That problem out there, it's a reflection of what's going on even with you. Their failure, their disobedience, their cultural problems were all interconnected. Is that how you look at Lincoln Way area? Is that how you look at Chicago? Do you, do you groan personally? Do you groan with the number of murders in our city? Do you groan at the number of deaths by heroin and fentanyl, the overdoses even in our own county? Do you, do you groan? Do you feel the weight of that? Look, throw it up for me, Kevin. Next slide. This year, last, up, to, up to this point, uh, we have lost in 2019 66 people to heroin and fentanyl overdoses. Do, do you see our, our culture as one that is trying to just placate and just trying to make everything feel good and whatever it takes, take this? And that is part of the sin in our world. We are looking outside of ourselves to make us feel good when the greatest thing that we need is Christ. Christ in me. If you saw even somebody getting angry on the road and doing something stupid in the name of road rage is your first reaction to say, what an idiot. A lot of us do. Myself. Or is there a, should there be a place in your soul at some point that says, that is in me too. That anger is in me too. Or how about this? Can we even identify with our African-American brothers and sisters with their fear, with murder, injustices, with racism? I hope there is a place in our heart that we can move beyond that. Listen, I didn't own any slaves. Because honestly, that, that is kind of our white plight, isn't it? No, I didn't. That's not my problem. 
hopefully we can move to a place that we can say, it grieves me. It breaks my heart that racism is a part of our world and your culture and is part of the sinfulness of our human heart. And my brother, I don't understand, but I hope to understand. And I hate it. Hosea helps us realize that the scandal of God's grace is so much bigger than our individual stories. It's not just that I am Gomer. We are all Gomer, running away from God. The whole creation is Gomer. And God's aim, God's desire, His ultimate plan is to restore everything, everything that was broken, and bring us back to the garden where we can walk in the cool of the day with God. That is God's desire. He wants to restore all things. So one way that Israel wants... Uh, Hosea wants Israel to listen is by helping her to understand the very essence of the problem. And one way that we need to listen is by realizing that the essence of Israel, Israel's problem is also our problem. We are Gomer. Here, here's the second aspect of what we can see here. We, we, we see the full scope of Israel's waywardness. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, and continuing all the way through chapter 5 through 14, Hosea identifies the extent. He, this is now where God is kind of laying out all of the problems. He is laying out the extent of the sinfulness of the, the people. His, his summary indictment now becomes really specific. It's like a parent saying, oh, you hurt my feelings. But now let me show you how specifically. These verses honestly are devastating and they're absolutely enlightening. They overwhelm us with a, a number of uh, uh, different levels of sinfulness that are even present in our, our day and age. And they also help us to see the various ways that waywardness creeps into, subtly creeps into our lives, and our cultures. Let me just give you some highlights. First of all, he, he starts with the priests. You've heard it say that an organization rots from the head down, right? So it has a way of starting with the, the leadership. So here, the nation rots from the, the priests down. They, they are destructive. Verse 5 says the spiritual leaders were stumbling. In verse 6, the priests have rejected the knowledge of God, which has resulted in the people rejecting the knowledge of God as well. Verse 7 through 8, their, their growth in numbers only had a way of increasing their sinfulness. So the people's sinfulness and their sinfulness fed each other's sinfulness. So honestly, guys, if we grow as a church but we never address sinfulness, what's only going to happen? Our sinfulness will increase. Our goal is holiness. Growth without holiness is a recipe for disaster. Verses 9 through 11, the people are like priests. 
It's, it's the summary of the problem. Their appetites will not be satisfied. Their culture has been given over to idolatry, to drunkenness, and the absence of the knowledge of God. But the priests were not the only problem. It's easy to point up, right? He's the problem. Idolatry was all over the place. In verse 12, these people, the people, were seeking divine guidance from a piece of wood and a walking staff. You do it too. You look for divine guidance in numbers or signs. Or what about this or what about that? The best Oprah book out there. Best help book. We, we look for divine guidance all over the place. We can even see that their idolatry in verses 13 through 14 are everywhere. It's open and it's absolutely immoral. In verses 15 through 18, Israel has a stubborn heart. In verse 19, the nation has been deeply impacted, has been deeply impacted as a, a wind that has wrapped them up in their wings. Then, then we move into chapter 5 and we see more indictments against the leaders of the culture and the more on the na- culture of even the nation. In verses 1 and 2 in chapter 5, the leaders and the priests and their culture are deep in the clutches of their sinful ways. In verses 3 to 7, the spiritual life of the nation is marked by a spiritual rebellion, self-reliant pride, and the absence of God in their lives. In verses 4 to 8, God announces he says, here it is. Here's the coming judgment. In verses 13 through 15, when Israel re- realizes, sees her problem, she still, she still refuses to turn to the Lord. Instead, she turns to Assyria. Another nation. So the scope of the nation's waywardness is incredible. And this prophetic word is meant to awaken them to the reality of what is happening in their culture. Don't you see it? Look around you, Israel. And it is far too easy for Israel and for us to become accustomed to our own surroundings that we forget the important lessons that we should be heeding. Let me give you a couple, just two, three applications. One, leaders are accountable for waywardness. Hosea makes it clear. Listen, pastors, elders, deacons, missional community leaders, youth ministry leaders, children's ministry leaders, women's ministry leaders, men's ministry leaders, listen, You cannot just throw up your hand and neglect your responsibility. Parents, fathers, husbands have a responsibility of setting the spiritual tone. If you have a business, if you manage people, if you have a seat of influence, if you write the laws of our land, you have accountability before the Lord. Each of you. If you run a shift at your work, you have a responsibility we also need to, another mark or another application is we need to remember that sin is progressively pervasive. In other words, it slowly creeps in. It is like a cancer. And cancer starts off with one, two, 
bore and it multiplies. In the same way, so is our sin. Our actions and our disregard to God is not only wrong, but it becomes a part of our culture. It becomes a part of our marriage. It becomes a part of our parenting. It becomes a part of our classroom. It becomes a part of this. And to the point where we are no longer shocked or outraged or disgusted. We no longer blush. We, and our comfort level with what is sinful becomes way too high. And it happens oh so soon. But we also need to remember that godless solutions will not work. The story of Israel involves seeking help in all the wrong places. Makes me want to break out into this song. Looking for love. That's our story as well. We are looking for love in all the wrong places. Rather than dealing with the root of the issue, our spiritual waywardness, we try to find temporary solutions, quick fixes. We change locations, we change jobs, we change friends, we change churches, we change all these things. We read the next book, we go to the new conference, we talk about the accountability that we need, but the problem is our fundamental waywardness that we keep bringing to every so-called solution. God wants the people of Israel to realize who they are. He wants them to understand what is really happening. And this text is heavy, but it is designed to lead them. It's designed to lead them to the grace of God, which appears in chapter 6. This is a solution to their waywardness. And we are able to see the scandalous nature of God's grace. Chapter 6 begins with a call for the people to return to the Lord. Did you pick that up? Come. Come on. Let us. You see the corporate nature? Let us return to the Lord. So it's a call. And this is a, a familiar thing with the prophets. You'll get in Joshua. Incline your heart unto the Lord your God. Or in Jeremiah 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Or Jeremiah 14, wash your heart from wickedness. Or Hosea, we'll hear later on, break up your fallow ground. The basic idea is to turn from evil and return to good. And God's motivation, God's motivation always in discipline is not to be mean and to be angry and to be spiteful. No, his desire is always about restoration. Bringing them back. He tears down. Did you pick that up? He has, he has torn us down. Why? To keep us down? No, he has torn us down that he may heal us. He has struck us down. And what is he going to do? He's going to bind us up. God's, God's desire is always restoration. It is always healing. In verse 2, we read about God's intention to even raise the nation back up on a third day. Did anybody pick up an illusion there? A picture? A metaphor? Come on. Who is it? Obviously, this is what is going to happen to Jesus in His death and His resurrection. But we'll get more to that later. 
Verse 3 rests its hope on the faithfulness of God. The grace of God is assured. It is like the showers of rain during springtime. So Hosea is trying to woo and call back the people of God and say, listen, remember, he is gracious, he is kind, and he longs for you to repent. But notice what Israel's love is like. It's like mine. It's like yours. Their their faithfulness and fidelity to God is like the morning cloud. Their affection is like the dew on the ground. It doesn't last. It evaporates and it's gone quickly. So God God is not looking for half-hearted, externally performed religion. He doesn't want sacrifice and burnt offerings without steadfast love and sacrifice. The nation has rebelled against God and the effects are everywhere and yet God is ready for them to repent. Hosea is calling them as one of them to return to the Lord. So the solution, my friend, to their waywardness and the solution to our waywardness, the solution to my waywardness, and your waywardness is not more religion. The solution to our waywardness is repentance. Scandalous grace means that God is willing and ready to pour out mercy on those who turn from their sin and turn back to Him. And judgment for Israel did not have to happen. The warning was given with the hope that they would hear the word and turn. So the question for us is still, are you listening? The text leads us back to the first question. How do you know if somebody is really listening? How do you know? How do I know if you are really listening? Well, some of you, I can tell if you're listening because some of you might doze off. Some of you might just be chit-chatting back and forth. You might be on your phone. Is that, is that a clue that you're listening? Probably not. But we can't just ask that question generally. We need to push it personally by asking ourselves questions like this. Do you know the problem inside of you and in the world? Do you know the problem inside of you and in the world is sinful rebellion? And can you, can you identify your sinful rebellion? That, that, would be, that would be a good missional community question. Can you identify in yourself and in the world, sinful rebellion, and can you give it a name? I dare you to ask that. Have you turned to Christ, really turned to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or have you turned to religion, or church attendance, or Bible study? Have you truly turned your heart to Christ for sin? Have you, do you see the remaining presence of sin in your life? And do you feel how bad that sin really is? 
And do you sense that the Lord is speaking to you even today through His Word? And in what areas of your life do you need more turning to the Lord? I hope that you are able to hear the Word of the Lord this morning. And I hope that you are able to also heed the call to return to the Lord. Not just hear it and just, oh, hey, Pastor Paul, that was a good message. But to actually heed the call to return to Him. The scandal of God's grace is that He is calling, is the calling of God to pour out grace on you, to rescue you from your waywardness. And in order to accomplish this, that beyond Beyond what Hosea is saying, God sent the solution. And He sent Jesus on a scandalous mission. Calling His people to identify their sins. Identify their need for a Savior. And to receive and rest upon Him alone as He is presented in the Gospel. Listen, Jesus came into the world, my friends, for the brokenness, the waywardness of our world. He bore the penalty of our judgment. He was crucified because of our rebellion. And then God raised him up on the third day, declaring once and for all that all who repent will be and are restored. And we look forward to that coming day where we know there will be no more sin. There will be no more need. Think about that. There will be no more need for repentance. But yet we can just rest on Him. And my friends, this is relentless love and scandalous grace. And my question for you is, are you listening? And will you return to Him? This is the Word of the Lord. Father God, this word from Hosea is not just for this congregation, the people sitting in the seats. It is also for me. Help me, help us to identify the sinfulness of our sin and our hopeless, hopelessness apart from Christ. And may we return to you. Resting upon Christ's finished and perfect work. And receiving all of his benefits as we are clothed in his righteousness. Lord, for those today 
who have never received Christ. Lord, I pray that your spirit would so woo them and call them to yourself that the irresistible nature of that call leads them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray this all in Jesus' name.